um, I put my arms in there and I screamed as loud as I could. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I scared about 10 people. The celebration erupted at a photo processing store in Michigan's Thumb area, about 110 miles north of Detroit. Startled customers must have thought the guy had lost his mind, but he had worked precisely 371 days to capture the image now before him. Would you call it an obsession? Oh, absolutely. All because of a wild animal that turned up in a place it wasn't supposed to be. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch, stories of the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. When does passion for a cause become an obsession? When does a rational search for answers become a trip down a rabbit hole? And when is the end result worth it in spite of the cost? Today's episode is about a Michigander who paid a heavy price to solve a mystery of nature. But for his obsession to begin, another man had to make a startling discovery. Aaron Schenk is a houndsman. He uses his dogs to hunt coyotes and other game. Aaron says his brother Ryan, while coming home from work early in the morning, spotted a strange track in a fresh half foot of snow. Curiosity led him to follow it. He calls me and he says, get down here. I've got something you've never seen before. The track was about five inches long and four inches wide, about the size of a bear track, but shaped differently. Aaron says the hounds were skittish at first about following the strange scent. But my brother did have a dog that was pretty faithful and she ended up leaving the road and starting to bark on it and following it. And I got two of mine to follow. He got one or two others to follow. And before long, they were singing a pretty tune, echoing in the woods that morning. The chase was on. The Schenck brothers didn't know what they were following, but whatever it was, it was fast. I, I just, I can't even explain the way that it ran across the snow and for as fluffy and fresh as the snow was that day, its track would only dent the snow like two inches, where our dogs were right up to their bellies in it. Two or three miles later, the strange animal crossed a road, giving Aaron and Ryan their first clear look. When we seen it, we were, we were in awe. About three and a half feet long, huge paws, bushy tail, a thick brown and black coat, it was a wolverine. Never seen nothing like that in this country before. Never would have dreamt of it. No wolverine sighting had been confirmed in Michigan's entire history. A strange twist in what's known as the Wolverine State. We have the University of Michigan Wolverines, the villages of Wolverine and Wolverine Lake, the Wolverine Bar Association, Wolverine Beer. You get the picture. According to one theory, the label was hatched in an 1830s border dispute. Ohioans thought they were insulting Michiganders by calling them Wolverines. The Latin word is gulo or glutton. Ohio was talking smack. For some reason, Michiganders embraced the insult and the nickname, though Wolverines did not roam its woods. Not until Aaron and his brother spotted one on a cold February day in 2004. It was amazing. 
Aaron was an experienced tracker, but had never encountered an animal this smart. The wolverine would confuse the dogs by doubling back on its tracks and veering off in a new direction. Other houndsmen got wind of what was happening and brought in their dogs. Word of mouth traveled crazy, crazy fast that day about this because it was such a new thing. The pursuit lasted seven hours and covered 18 miles. It ended when the wolverine climbed 25 feet up a huge poplar tree. Found itself very comfortable in a crotch and just looked down and I mean, it was content. It, it really wasn't that scared. By the time the chase ended, up to 40 cars and trucks lined the road. Some of the hunters were ready to shoot the elusive animal and could have legally done it. Michigan had no regulations on wolverines because no wolverines were thought to exist in the state. But when the Schenck brothers invoked an unwritten code, the wolverine dodged any danger. Whoever finds the track basically gets to make the call if the game gets taken. At that point in time, we felt we made history. It was a, a one of a kind. We don't take one of a kinds. Our way of taking from nature is take the bountiful, leave what's not. It's about sorting, picking and sorting to keep nature in balance. The Shank brothers' decision to save the Wolverine's life changed the life of another Michigander. Oh, my name is Jeff Ford, also known as Wolverine Guy. For the next six years, Jeff Ford would pour himself into expensive and exhausting amateur research. He stubbornly stuck with it, even when he learned he had a life-threatening illness. The strained voice you're hearing is because of that illness. I had read that the Wolverine's bite was the second strongest bite of any mammal in the world second to a hyena. Their ability to challenge animals that are up to 20 to 30 times their size is very impressive. Jeff was teaching his high school science classes the day the Schenck brothers were tracking down the Wolverine. Jeff heard about it on his way home and didn't believe it. And I stopped at the store to get a pop. And the lady there, she said, did you hear what happened, Jeff? And I said, what? And she says, well, a Wolverine was discovered not far from here. And I laughed at her and I says BS and I went about my way. But that night, the story was all over the news. Jeff would learn that the Wolverine had safely scampered down the tree and run away. You, you saw it on the news. Now take me to that evening. Oh, I just, I laid in bed rolling around all night, just out of excitement. To me, things that uh, some people might think are kind of a who cares thing. To me, this was someone dropping a dream or fantasy right in your backyard for an outdoorsman. An outdoorsman to the core, mainly through the influence of his dad. He allowed Jeff, even when he was a little boy, to hike for hours in the woods alone. Wildlife fascinated him. After a close encounter with a grizzly bear in Montana when he was 12, he scooped up books to learn all about bears. He became a devoted deer hunter and an even stronger student of nature. Now, Jeff would learn everything possible about Michigan's one and only Wolverine. My goal was just to be able to walk the tracks of an animal that's never been discovered in Michigan. They're just an amazing creature. 
The day after the Wolverine was found, Jeff began the adventure that would drain his finances, strain his marriage, and endanger his health. I went up to the area where it ran. I tried to figure out a, a path. So I started interviewing people that were along that circle. Then I started getting an idea of places where it could thrive, where there's no humans, and there's not very many. Two weeks later, Jeff and a friend spotted a fresh wolverine track. And it's eerily long, looks like a human hand. Jeff figured out that the wolverine was living in a remote bog in the Minden City State Game Area. He takes me there. We walk across a metal bridge, past a dilapidated barn, to a snow-covered trail. A bog is basically land floating on water. Even though the footing is safe in winter, we only go to the edge. And then sometimes where you think you're stepping and it's a good dry area, you just go in, you know, to your knees or more. It's like, a, it's like quicksand. In 2004, Jeff placed a bulky motion-activated camera where he thought the Wolverine might go. He didn't have any SD card in those days, just old-fashioned film. He kept checking the camera, reloading it, and getting photos that never showed the Wolverine. It took me till the following winter to get smart enough to, instead of trying to find a needle in a haystack, to bring it, the needle to me, where I started baiting. What did you leave out for the Wolverine? Initially, we left uh, venison steaks from my freezer and some chicken. Every week, he made a one-hour round trip to the photo processing store in the town of Bad Axe, A-X-E. He kept paying for photos of trees and shrubs, which triggered the camera whenever the wind kicked up. The photo processing folks nicknamed him Brush Man. After 14 months of futility, the woman at the counter delivered great news. She had a big smile on her face, and she says, well, you got 21 pictures of brush. She says, but the, that, that wolverine sure is pretty. And I, my eyes got big, and I was thinking, is, you know, is she messing with me? So I threw a $10 bill on the counter. I grabbed the pictures, and I started rushingly going through them. Sure enough, there it was, broadside, six feet. It was incredible. Six feet from the camera. Six feet right centered with her paw in the air. It's curved then at the camera like she was waving to the camera as she went by. It was, it was quite a moment. What did you do? Um, I put my arms in there and I screamed as loud as I could. The moment he had that photo, the Wolverine had him. I spent over $10,000 on my out of my own pocket on game cameras and video systems and you know, the whole nine yards. So all of a sudden, it's like I was right there, sitting there, you know, watching her do her thing. I've got her claws on the tree, scraping as she's climbing the tree. I've got her sounds that she makes when she's digging. From where Jeff parked his truck, he needed to walk about a mile and a third to get back to where his camera was getting Wolverine images. The footing was always tricky. One time, he decided that walking on the ice of a canal would be faster. I didn't realize the ice was as thin as it was. And I, I went all the way in and 
kind of had a struggle for my life, actually, trying to get out of there. I pulled myself up and I was kind of pulling myself on my elbows and it would crack again and I'd go back in and I was basically breaking my way to shore and I was just shaking violently. I knew I was in trouble if I didn't get warm. I was over a mile back there. It was very cold and I remember by the time I got close to my truck, every time I stepped, my pants were cracking because they had turned to ice. I was basically like an icicle. And uh, so I took all my clothes off. I didn't have any spare clothes. I turned the heater on full. And uh, I drove home in my underwear. So I was, I was really obeying the laws that day. Because I really didn't want to be known as the weird teacher in the paper. <laughs> drive, driving around, flashing kids with, me with underwear on. So it was, it was quite a day. The year his Wolverine addiction began in 2004, he had a two-year-old daughter, a newborn son, and a wife, Amy. She wasn't excited about me doing it, but she was understanding that she knew that if she tried to stop me from doing it, I was going to do it, and, and it was going to potentially ruin our marriage. So I think she was able to look at it and say, okay, let him do this. She probably was thinking it's going to last maybe a year, but that's kind of not how things played out. She made the statement, it's better to have him chasing something on four legs than two legs. At least Jeff had a couple of key allies out in the bog. His boss, high school principal Steve Noble, and Jeff's longtime hunting buddy, Jason Rosser. You know, it, it was really grueling. You know, when we started... Uh, it's a mile and a half back there, and there's no good path to get back there, and the snow was deep. They would test the Wolverine's strength and agility by ratcheting meat to a tree, burying it, or putting it just out of reach. The Wolverine solved the puzzle every time. One time I caught footage of her plane, actually plane, and she came in and she grabbed a leg bone from a deer that had been stripped of the meat. She went on her back, and she was tossing it in the air. Said to me that she was very comfortable. And it also said to me that Wolverines have more personality than their reputation says. They're not just a vicious, mean creature that's bloodthirsty and, and uh, evil. But one time, when Jeff and Jason were checking their cameras, the Wolverine gave them a mighty big scare. All of a sudden there was this commotion in the brush. And Jason looked back at me and he said, I hear something walking. Then all of a sudden she charged through the brush straight at us. And she cleared the brush. Soon she saw we were human. She turned almost straight back and she disappeared. And I look back at Jason and he's sitting there with his mouth open and his eyes are really big. I think we, we were like, holy cow. I mean, I'm sure there were there some other words used in there, like, like this really just happened. Uh, it was exciting. We were looking at each other, didn't know, didn't know what to think at that point, you know. So Jeff now had his first actual look at the Wolverine. 
It lasted only a second or two. He worked hard for other chances, waiting for hours in a tree stand or a camouflage tent. He even shaved his body hair to remove human scent. But the brief dramatic charge was the last time he would see the Wolverine alive. We'll be back in a minute. Jeff was a science teacher, but clearly not an expert wildlife researcher. He found one in Fairbanks, Alaska, Dr. Audrey McGowan. She knew just about everything about wolverines, but Jeff's videos gave her new insight into wolverine behavior. She also wanted to know why this one was so far south of where it's normally found. She started telling me I need to be very careful about sharing information that isn't concrete data proven scientifically. You've heard Jeff refer to the wolverine as a she, but he didn't know the gender at the time or the animal's origin. DNA testing would solve part of the riddle. He wrapped barbed wire around a tree and snagged a hair sample. He removed it with tweezers and put it into a white envelope, as McGowan had directed. The genetic slab established she was female and compared her to wolverines in different areas in North America. and She was had the closest match to Ontario. Wolverines had surfaced in Ontario about 300 miles north of the Michigan Thumb. They can travel hundreds of miles. So Jeff was convinced that this one crossed ice on the Great Lakes to reach the Minden Bog. Jeff wrote articles and delivered speeches about the Wolverine. Here's how his voice sounded before his health troubles surfaced. You know, it's been over 200 years since we've had a Wolverine confirmed here in Michigan. Um, we're talking about before Michigan became a state. Jeff was all about protecting the Wolverine, though sometimes he worried that he might be endangering it. He kept the location of his research a secret, refused to let news reporters go with him, and drafted a phony map to throw another researcher off the trail. His dad rattled him when he suggested Jeff was conditioning the Wolverine to survive on human-supplied food. But Jeff concluded that meat at the research site reduced the risk of the wolverine crossing roads or raiding livestock. He didn't realize that the mammal facing the greatest danger was Jeff Ford. I just wasn't sleeping very much. I was, you know, burning the candle at both ends. I was trying to, I was trying to teach. I was trying to spend time with my family. I was trying to keep the wolverine fed, my family fed. He had to hunt for extra deer to feed the wolverine and carry 35 pounds of venison and gear through difficult terrain. About four years into the project, he noticed something wasn't right. I got where um, instead of walking straight in and walking straight out, I'd have to stop, sit down, rest, take my pack off. And, you know, initially I was doing that a couple times, and pretty soon I was doing that quite a few times. So not only was the trip in and out getting longer, but I just, I was in denial, I guess. Well, I woke up one morning uh, in the fall, September, to go to school and I couldn't breathe. I had lost my voice. I didn't realize that was related to my heart at the time. So I went to the hospital and when the doctor came in and showed us the checks x-ray, my wife was there, and next to it he put a x-ray of a normal heart. Mine was over twice the size of a normal heart. And so my, my wife was like, 
her eyes got big and she was, it was like kind of reality hit. Some majors going on. His 43-year-old heart was functioning at only 12%. Jeff underwent two surgeries to put a pacemaker and a defibrillator into his chest. That was the end of the Wolverine research. Or so you would think. Well, I, I wasn't supposed to walk more than 100, 200 feet at a time. I wasn't supposed to lift more than 10 pounds. Surely wasn't supposed to go on a three-mile hike back in a bog carrying a 35-pound pack. And you did it anyway? I just started doing it. You are crazy, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think I agree. I'm not going to, I can't really argue with that. He made the grueling march to the research station, singing a tune from the heavy metal group Iron Maiden. It was called Die With Your Boots On. Did your wife try to stop you? Yes. What'd she say at that point? She said, I'm, you're crazy and I'm worried about you. I'd say, I'm, I'm sorry, honey, I have to do this. On March 13th, 2010, a bow hunter was walking along the Minden Bog to scout deer. When he stopped to take a cell phone call, his girlfriend walked off the trail to check out a beaver dam. She saw something dead in the water. Later that day, Jeff Ford sent a brief email to McGowan, the researcher who had done so much to help him. The pretty girl, my friend, the thumb wolverine is dead. It was an absolute fluke that the wolverine's body was discovered. Uh, this is where the wolverine was found, right here, next to this beaver dam. State officials arrived, put her in the back of a pickup truck, and drove away. Jeff Ford was able to rendezvous with them a few miles from the bog. And when I got there, he opened up his tailgate, and there was a wet, waterlogged wolverine laying in the back of his truck. And then I picked her up an elder, and Steve took a took a picture. Tell me about that moment when you held the wolverine. It's very strange. After all that time, I was trying to see her, other than that one split second. But she was laying there limp, and her head was hanging down on one side. And I had my hand on her stomach, holding her up. It was just kind of sad to see her with no life when I had seen her being so lively and active for so long. The emotion hit you later. It did. I had to get away from my family because I was kind of in a was kind of in a miserable state, and so I I went and got some beer, and I parked my truck in a remote area. And I played music and I drank my beer. Remember tomorrow from my Iron Maiden. About four beers and I started crying. The Department of Natural Resources allowed Jeff to attend a necropsy, which is an autopsy on an animal. 
The Wolverine was determined to be about nine years old, to have never born young, and to have died from natural causes. She had a failing heart and a condition known as cardiomyopathy, which was the same condition I was diagnosed with. Now you have another bond with that Wolverine. Yeah, it was weird. Jeff acknowledges that he could have wound up dead in that bog. At the time of our interview, he was a few weeks away from major heart surgery. He hopes to eventually get a heart transplant and to get his voice back. Jeff has retired from teaching now and has turned his focus to his health and his family. Here's Jason Rosser. He is a guy I am absolutely happy to call my best friend. You wonder, you think, why does somebody spend so much time on, on an animal? But, you know, you when you lo really look at the circumstances, uh, this animal is the only one ever to known, be known existence in the state of Michigan. And I think there's nobody realized how special that was except Jeff. And uh, that really hit a chord with him. And he was dedicated in making sure that this animal's life was documented. And he was, he was just wanting to see it through. Gave me a respect for, for rare wild creatures. Gave me a strong feeling that I needed to pass down to my children the attributes of being, to find a passion and pursue it, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be wildlife, but whatever passion you find, go after it 100%. I think that's what it's kind of taught me. Jeff's obsession is over, but in a strange way, the Wolverine continues beyond the pictures and the memories. Her pelt was taken to a taxidermist, and the mount is on permanent display at the Saginaw Bay Visitor Center, along with Jeff Ford's photos and the story of his research. What's that like for you as you see this mounted Wolverine? I mean, it makes me happy that she was found and her story kind of continued. You know, it's that there's solid visual proof right there. People can get within inches of what she really looked like. You think we might ever see another wolverine in these parts? I I doubt it, but it would be it'd be neat if it happened again. But somebody, I'd have to pass the torch to somebody because yeah, you know, I'm done now. I. I can't, there's no way I'd be able to do it now. Uh, you've done your duty. Yeah, I reckon I have. Thanks for listening. You can get more information about Jeff's adventure in his book called The Lone Wolverine. Mismatch is a production of Graham Media Group with WDIV Local 4 in Detroit. It's produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. This is our last episode for a while, but we hope to soon put together a second season. If you have any mismatched story ideas you think could work well for this show, find us on Facebook or Twitter at Mismatch Podcast. Let us know your idea. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed our show, please share it with a friend. Thank you so much.